Dennis. Kev. You were just saying that you're uh, pretty excited to do this podcast. <laughs> I'm super excited to do this podcast because it's about me this week. Yay. It's mostly about you, but I've got a surprise secret for you. <laughs> Two <laughs> okay, surprise what, secrets. Oh, great. All right. What is it? Secret number one, mm-hmm. which I just found out. Mm-hmm. You can fit an entire bottle of champagne in a Yeti tumbler. Wow. Wait a minute. I didn't do that right. Dennis. Psst. Kev. I have a secret. Oh, okay. What is it? You can fit an entire bottle of champagne in a Yeti tumbler. <laughs> is this the, uh, what do they say, the uh, frosty beverage that you're working on right now? It is, yeah. I, okay. I just got to uh, uh, this uh, this uh, place that I'm at, and we had no beverage, and I had to improvise, and I had okay. a uh, cold, a garage cold bottle of champagne that I am celebrating tonight. And with all this fantastic feedback, is Yeti a sponsor? Is that why you're name dropping them? Are they a sponsor now? Are we sponsored? No sponsors. <laughs> and in fact, we're happy that we haven't lost our jobs yet. I agreed. Okay. Totally agreed with that. So what's secret number two? Secret number two. Did you know that we, and by we, I mean, I wasn't even born yet, but mm. there's two guys that 45 years ago had a pretty good sense about uh, how to build like secure systems. Mm-hmm. I, I, so Dennis, psst. Kev, uh, I've got a secret. Oh, okay. What's, what's the second secret? And this is going to be a real quick one because we're going to just jump in. We've got a long throwback today, mm-hmm. but the real quick one is just almost a shout out to the 1975 paper Saltzer and Schroeder's design principles. Written by Jerome Saltzer and Michael Schroeder, both of these guys still alive. Uh, nineteen seventy-five article, the protection of information in computer systems. I believe that Schroeder is known. One of these guys. Let me just get it right. Schroeder is known for the Needham Schroeder protocol, which is like a security protocol, and mm-hmm. he also ran a research lab at Microsoft later on. And Saltzer is known primarily for his works on Maltics. Do you know what Maltics is? I do not. Maltics is the multi-user operating system that um, ended up getting kind of rethought into Unix. Do you know what Unix is? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that I do. Okay. So Unix is actually a play on words because Unix was originally going to be a single user operating system. So Maltics to Unix. Um, and then they were like, let's use an X instead of CX. Mm. Um, anyway, so these guys are like legit MIT computer scientists, but this paper is, I mean, I read it probably for the first time in like 2005 or 2006. And I just want to point it out cause they, they list the series of design principles here. I'm going to run through them real quick cause I'm watching the clock and I want to make sure that we stay kind of within the parameters of the episode, but but go and, and read this um, paper if you're interested. And just to me, the idea that the, the notion that they had figured some of these things out, these guiding lights out, which still, I think, would serve any, you know, application security or system security architect well or systems engineer well in the design of a system. So I'm going to go through these design principles. Okay. And you tell me whether or not it's immediately relevant to you how 
rate these things on a on a <laughs> on a zero to oh, ten scale. I, <laughs> I don't know. Rating things on the scales, I seem to have oh, a lot I love of difficulty quantitative with pressure. Anyway, okay, all right. Let's principle do number one: economy mm. of mechanism. Keep the design as simple and as small as possible. Resonate. Super relevant today. Yep. Still relevant. 1975, these guys saw this, right? Like multi-user systems were rare. One guy was writing a multi-user operating system. Principle number two, fail-safe defaults. Base Super. access decisions on permission rather than exclusion. Does that resonate? Fail Resonates. Defaults. I actually like the definition of that too in terms of basically it's saying, you know, uh, selectively permit. You know, the, I mean, we have people even, oh, let me go fix that cross-site scripting bug by writing a blacklist for the example pattern that we gave you in the pen test, <laughs> right? The JavaScript. Oh, for hello. sure. You know, we, so, you know, even, even in that it's, 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 uh, I think insightful. Uh, complete mediation. And here maybe you need the description because I don't think that that terminology caught on necessarily, but I think a lot, some of the other stuff that they did say, every access to every object must be checked for authority. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, a insecure direct object reference vulnerability that's taken down so many, you know, been responsible for so many breaches, right? Um, but, you know, it's just, yeah, authorization from start to finish of, of a, of a path. And this is be, like, this paper is written, I don't know, 15, 16 years before the first web server at NCSA was in existence. Complete yeah. mediation. Yeah. I mean, Open, it's crazy. Almost 50 years ago. It's still, have long. you read okay. this paper? Have you I've not read this paper, but it's I've definitely never ranted me... at, maybe I've ranted at you. I don't know that you've ranted Somebody at me else? this before, but I feel like we've you, definitely. I'm. I've got an anecdote that I wanted. Like that, as soon as you started, we going don't have on this time path. for it. I've only got four <laughs> minutes left. Open design. The design should not be a secret. This has been rephrased. I mean, this is what we think of as security through obscurity today. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Separation of privilege. Where feasible, protection mechanisms that you know requires two keys better than one that requires one key. So we're getting into actually two, I think you could almost make an argument that this is also kind of the basis for some multi-factor. Um, I was just thinking that, yep. But then the notion of separation of privilege, I think in practice we kind of, we, I mean, we have privilege separation in uh, secure software as well, right? To say, hey, let's break this one process into two processes because we only need elevated privilege to do this one thing and then we don't need it anymore. So really good software, like something like OpenSSH or, or something like that, um, you know, definitely uh, uh, takes that principle of separation of privilege as it's stated into consideration as well, right? Yeah. I mean, that topic applies both to like the creation of software, right? Also like, you know, separation uh -huh. of duties from coding and deploying to also the... Yeah, there's operation separation of privilege. Yeah. The, the functionality of the application itself, right? Step up authentication for like more, mm -hmm. more secure or risky functions and stuff. So yeah, totally relevant. Least privilege. Oh, okay. Yep. Definitely quoted Done. in all of this. Done. We don't Next. even need to. Okay. Let's mm -hmm. save the time that we have. Uh, least common mechanism... Now, I would say that this is the one that maybe it's too close to economy of mechanism or could be summarized, but they describe it as minimizing the amount of mechanism common to more than one user and depended on by all users. I, If I was going to 
bring this into the modern world, I would just start talking to this about attack surfaces and interfaces, right, in terms of, of what your trust boundary. So maybe that's a little bit of stretch, but least common mechanism, I see where they went with that. I think this is the one that's probably... Um, more evident in the specific architectures that people were building multi-user systems with in 1975 that, you know, didn't quite, because now common to more than one user depended on by all users, we want to build organized libraries that, you know, have those things, but it's, it's a little bit hard to see the interface perspective that they had at the time. Hmm. Okay. My brain cannot wrap around that in the short amount of time. So yep. I'm abstaining okay, so from rating this it. one. Let's I need it. to, I need the full definition. So psychological acceptability. This is a, have a simple and intuitive UI. Oh, great. The, and yeah. the, I mean, their description, it, the human interface be designed for ease of use so that users routinely and automatically apply. I mean, we got bit by this, right? All of those email, mail user agents. I can't tell what a link is. The font is wonky. Let me click on this thing. Boom. My mom is compromised by Russian hackers. My mom listens, so I'm getting in trouble first. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to, I'm sure I'm about to get in trouble too. Cause you posted quotes nope. from my mom. Nope. Against Your mom is not on my LinkedIn. I checked. Yeah. <laughs> I just said it. We'll edit that out. Okay. Work factor. Uh, compare the cost of circumventing the mechanism with the resources of a potential attacker. What they're saying here is like, if you're going to single des encrypt your password hash, you know, think about what kind of brute force computer resources. There's also the notion of work factor, for instance, in all kinds of security, any type of anti-automation, um, you know, using, you know, bcrypt or scrypt instead of uh, SHA-1, you know, doing things with a notion of how long something should take. Um, work factor is deeply interconnected with resource deprivation, which continues to be a problem. But uh, I'll admit that work factor, and we just broke our 10 minutes, but um, the last one I'll just point out here real quickly, compromise recording. They're talking about detective controls, sometimes suggested mechanisms that reliably record that a compromise of information has occurred can be used in place of more elaborate mechanisms that completely prevent loss. So detect and, you know, as a, as a secondary factor where you do need to grant somebody's access, do monitor, do detect. So pretty cool for a paper written in 1975, no? Oh, absolutely. I think that work factor, it, I, just to chime in, then I will be done on this topic. But it reminded me of conversations I was having with a former colleague about, uh, you know, decentralized networks like cryptocurrencies, right? You know, like oh, it's the yeah. Basis you can't put so much. Yeah, right? you, you, you like the total assets in the cryptocurrency, right? Should mm -hmm. not exceed the amount of money it would take to try to do like a fifty-one percent attack, right? Because obviously, mm -hmm. anyway. So I've heard that that one was just from a conversation a couple of years ago. Yeah. So I routinely blow people mind blow people's minds who who hadn't heard of this, and I I just we we had a forum. We had uh, I think. 11 minutes was, was a good part. And also our throwback is not computer security centric. Um, mm -hmm. We talk about it in the episode, so we don't even need to get into it necessarily, but who's on our throwback at some, uh, this was one of the weaker ones. I thought <laughs> just kidding. Uh, yeah. I, who's I on the throwback this week? Dennis? I, I am on the throwback this week. That's true. Yeah. You are, we'll, we'll kind of maybe save even the content from it. 
Um, and I don't think we're going to come back at the end of it and have you rate your own throwback mm-hmm. or, or 10 out of 10, about your 10 own throwback. Uh, 99 out of 10. But okay. I, I was just listening to this and it is also, I, I think we mentioned it. This is the origin of the podcast. We were going to do a podcast about this topic turned out to be way too much work. So you'll, you'll probably hear that same <laughs> spiel again, but, um, thanks Dennis. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to say before we throw back or are we, we good to go? No, I'm hogging enough time on today's episode, so I'll just leave it be. All right, so go read that paper, Salzer Schroeder's Design Principles from 1975, two people, and they're both uh, still alive, and I'm sure still much smarter than um, I am. So thanks so much, and here's the throwback. (laughs) Awesome. This was good. I love that was a great bumper. Dennis, welcome to your podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So a little context. We're recording this stuff totally out of order. We've never once done an actual uh, Shared Secrets podcast yet. But uh, you have a throwback segment, which I'm recording before we record all that other stuff. So this is your throwback segment. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, uh, This is great. So... The rest of the throwbacks mostly are like people that I knew were as like computer kids and stuff from where I grew up. We didn't grow up together. We are roughly the same age. I'm a little bit younger and more handsome, but overall (laughs) we're, we're similar. You graduated, you know, a year before me, but same, most of the stuff, this will be a a story about the same time period as everything else. And you weren't here. Here's how I assess the situation after we've been, um, uh, not quite best friends, but we've been friends now, uh, good friends for two or three years. You were not a necessarily a computer kid. In fact, maybe even your brother Pat was more of the computer kid in your family. Is that accurate or no? Uh, no, I would say, uh, you know. Okay, okay, I, never mind. Uh, the, yeah. Don't blow my whole theory before I get it out there. Okay. I, your order of priority, I'm going to say, is school and being a good student, mm-hmm. sports, Nintendo games, then maybe a little computering. I would say school, uh, video games, computering, and then sports. I mean, let's put it this way. I once fell down the stairs and crawled over to the Super Nintendo to play Mortal Kombat. Okay. And didn't realize (laughs) I had sprained my ankle until like four hours later, I tried to walk upstairs. I've never did anything that It's like your own little fatality. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But you were, you are, uh, you continue to be much better at school than I ever was. Uh, Not that you're, uh, you actually do take some, even like right now, you voluntarily take school (laughs) in your free time in the pandemic you sign up for like free internet classes and stuff but you're a good student so that was more so your focus so you weren't like were you building like did you build a computer no i didn't do any computer building or really have a good understanding of computer hardware until i started getting into building crypto miners uh, with some coworkers. right so that and that was like and that was in 20 couple years ago yeah 2017 Gotcha. And then, and so that element and not, not, I mean, did you, I, but programming, you're, you're, that's that programming. Okay. Super so far on back for me. Yeah. Okay. Like so I, I knew you, basic as like a little kid. Okay. So that's all good to set up. We're not going to talk about what was your first computer. Let me just ask you what your first computer was. My, well, now my first computer was the computer, the hand-me-down or family computer really that like, I think Chris got when he went to college. So I don't know, some like 
386. I don't know. I don't remember exactly. I just remember trying okay. to figure out how to put as many games on it as okay, possible. Okay, so that goes back to you're not a, you weren't a computer kid for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, actually, okay. Well, then, you if know, you don't know but, like the detailed stats of your, I don't know the details. That's in fact, actually, though, the first computer. Well, yeah, my first computer. This is what you called bullshit on this story, where I told you like my dad's log cabin friend was a oh, professor, yeah, okay. and then so it was a tan, it was some sort of Tandy laptop because that could run basic, and that's what I used. Like one of my brothers somehow got an old choose your own adventure book but at various stages instead of choosing what page you had to program a basic thing and that was the the, you know that was your uh activity or whatever and you had to solve something before you could move on to the next part of the story uh and so i remember doing that on the computer okay i don't think that the hardcore retro uh computer fans are are gonna be satisfied no they're not you knowing vaguely that you had some sort of tandy laptop from i will look it up uh, no, don't, don't you no 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 no. Uh, the point is that this whole segment is not going to have anything to do with computers. So that was all perfunctory trying to make it fit into this this segment. <clears throat> okay, yeah. So are we done with the bashing of my computer? Uh... <laughs> no, it's not bashing. Anyway, so we're going to mostly talk about a school story um and not to any effect other than like you had this crazy thing happen and it actually does kind of hit the edges of nineties, not necessarily computer security, but nineties social engineering mm-hmm. and ident- early identity fraud or, you know, something like that. I mean, just so, um, the way that I thought we should approach it is like this is a famous story that you and your brothers, your younger brother, uh, Mikey in particular, were like very close to as is like, I, I mean, like you had firsthand knowledge. This was this was happening around you. Um, so we're we're going to kind of step through this Washington Post article from February 7th and we'll kind of talk about. Very recent, 2000, um, and we're going to kind of talk about what left, led up to this and, and kind of maybe just go through this and add color commentary because it's a pretty super interesting story. So uh, anyway, this, the title of the story is Spielberg's story, A Self-Made Star Who Fell to Earth, right? So we're, <laughs> we're already kind of getting into like Spielberg. Mm-hmm. So when was the – so this isn't Steven Spielberg. Um, <clears throat> In nineteen, you were. Did it happen in ninety nine or ninety eight when you when you when you first heard this this name Spielberg in the context of your high school? Uh, it was ninety eight because I was graduating class of ninety nine, uh, okay. and he showed up that year. Okay, he showed up. So who at in nineteen ninety eight? Who who did you hear about? I mean, like, who is the title character of this? In nineteen ninety eight, Jonathan yeah. Taylor Spielberg showed up okay to our high school jonathan uh, taylor spielberg yep. yes and he was sort of the gem of the principal um who was very uh motivated to get money uh okay put so the you school. so this is a catholic school correct so the principal is also a priest he is a, or a pastor uh, oh, i mean i don't understand religion or specifically catholicism <laughs> he was an oblate uh, which was an order of monks, but yes, they were priests. Okay, is that Franciscan monks? Is that the same thing, or is that totally different? 
you're testing my knowledge. Okay, uh, never mind. That. I don't want your mom to get mad if she ever listens to this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, no kidding. <laughs> um, but the principal, uh, who I forgot his name, but this is so, and and we're just gonna so people can and people can look this up anyway. So you went, you grew up uh, in a DC suburb, which was Arlington, Virginia, or Alexandria, Fairfax, Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia. And the Catholic school that you went to was this super posh Hogwarts kind of thing called Paul the Six Catholic <laughs> High School. It was called Paul the Six uh, High School or PVI, uh, not posh at all. But when people are listening to the story for their own entertainment value, they should imagine Hogwarts. <laughs> no, they should imagine unless Hogwarts has a bunch of like trailers parked uh, just on the lawn next to the school that where some classes okay. have to happen. Oh, uh, for like overflow. Yeah, or like anyway, so, reservations. Anyway, so Catholic high school. It's but it's not just boys. There are it's it's co-ed Catholic high mm-hmm. school, correct? And the priest, what was his name? I'm sorry, Father, Father Lyle. Okay, well that's that answers the question. All all fathers are priests, right? Except for like your father and my father. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but only so, our two fathers. Yeah, yeah only our two. So Paul the Sixth Catholic High School, uh, with this and and uh Father Lyle. Um, this wasn't so so he you he was kind of well let's let's read this next. So from his first day in high school, Jonathan Taylor Spielberg was a sensation. The principal escorted him around the cafeteria. That's P- Father Lyle. That's Father Lyle, correct. So introducing him, then did the same. And so he was like bringing this Jonathan Taylor Spielberg around. Now, did you ever get a introduction to this person from Father Lyle? Or did you, was this just like one degree removed from you? Because in terms of like him bringing this kid around school. No, I mean, I don't ever think I even spoke to Jonathan Taylor Spielberg. So no, he wasn't going around personally doing one-on-one introductions. Like. A Probably little just, bit of a, a, you know, this sounds like the, you know, he would walk into the lunchroom and be like, uh, I need your attention. We have uh, Jonathan Taylor Spielberg here. Yeah. I don't think he did anything like that. He probably like, I'm sure that he would do that though. Right. Like kind of like initially on walk him around through Show study hall, which was yeah. in the cafeteria or something. So people would take notice. And it said that no other student at uh, Paul six, that's what we call it. Right. Yes. Six. Yep. Okay. <laughs> it's a Roman numeral in the article. No other student had received that kind of treatment. But Father Lyle did occasionally have favorite. I mean, he was he did play favorites. I mean, there was some maybe some basketball recruiting favorites and things like that. He did kind of glom onto this. He he was maybe a uh, I, I don't know, just kind of a personality, like a, a personality of like that doesn't seem like a very principal-esque thing to do to like play favorites and show individual students you know treats individual students with extra privileges than others like that's not something that you know you would want in a principal like you want a principal to be generally like a little bit more level and balanced right yeah yeah what did your mom i mean did your mom before any of this happened did your mom uh, maybe we shouldn't even ask your mom's gonna get mad if she listens to this but like did your, <laughs> yeah. what did your parents think of father lyle I assume like your dad hated him and your mom was like, oh, he's a great priest. Uh, you know, honestly, I'm not really sure. We, not, I don't even really remember bringing up this whole JTS situation at home. Okay, I, I have your mom on the other line. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ambushed um, podcasts? Yeah. Um, 
Okay, so so there's so the quirky principal and this new student named Jonathan Taylor Spielberg, and I mean, what did people think even about the? I mean, this Jonathan Taylor Spielberg is such a weird name. Like, why does it? I mean, it, was there any discussion of just how weird the name was, or what? 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 What did you hear next about that? No discussion about okay. the name. It didn't ring any bells, and I just feel like it's a situation where you know, if you you know they. The bigger the lie, the easier it is to believe, you know. So, like, why oh, yeah, wouldn't his okay. name be Jonathan Taylor Spielberg? You know, I don't know. Yeah, and we're uh, yeah. Uh, so, the next thing in this article: soon Spielberg began parking his flashy BMW coupe in the principal's parking lot, parking spot, or visitor circle out front—a privilege unheard of in school. Uh, <laughs> uh, unheard of in school is. Is that true? Is do people? Oh, that's totally true. That I totally remember. It was like so he par- and and also it was that privilege was never given to any of the football players or I mean, no. And I think it was like Father Lyle's parking space or something like that. But I remember that the light, he had a vanity plate and it was S P L B R G. I mean, yet another like so unbelievable fact, right? So good. Uh, so and then this article says the typical freshman doesn't even have a driver's license. So this is ninety eight. Yep. He's claiming to be. 15 and yet driving his car to school in an ostentatious parking way. <laughs> Correct. I know. Awesome. Okay, that was perfect. the first thing in hindsight that like I occurred that occurred to me, like, why did I not register that out of all the unbelievable things like that should have been the most obvious. Okay. Um, so then the article says Spielberg was no ordinary freshman. He was the nephew of filmmaker Steven Spielberg and played the role of a celebrity teenager beautiful. So already this article is like easing us into the notion of his claim was essentially what was his 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 claim here? My name's Jonathan Taylor Spielberg and if you got to talking to him more he would pretty quickly connect the dots that he was Steven Spielberg's nephew. Like that was well-known knowledge at least. Oh, that absolutely was. I mean that everyone knew that part that he was Spielberg's nephew. And then the backstory is that he was coming to our school to audit classes in preparation for some role where he plays, you know, some student at a private high school or, you know, Catholic high school. Um, So that was the backstory. So he was there, um, but like not enrolled in the school, like in the same capacity that the rest of the students were. Yeah. It's auditing or just like a hang around. Exactly. He's not getting graded on anything. Right. Okay. So he he sprinkled the conversation with Hollywood names. I guess that's probably just like, hey, my uncle Steven Spielberg. Did he, I mean, did he claim to know other people? Or I mean, to your oh, I mean, yes. Again, secondhand, I had heard. You know, he'd be like, oh, well, we're we'll go to the Oscars or whatever, and I'm going to sit at this person's table, or I know that person, or you know, stuff like that. That's so yeah. name dropping. Certainly was a big, big thing. Game dropper. Okay. Handed out ten dollar bills to classmates and wore expensive clothing outside of school. I don't know about expensive. So, Let's talk about the handing out money thing. Handing out money. Uh, this this is something that I think Mikey had saw more firsthand, and I think he was saying it was more like your younger brother getting... Mikey was in actually the same freshman class. Yeah, he was a freshman when I was a senior. Right, and this guy was so he was entering. So so there was a little bit, and by, I guess we should say that Mikey played uh, varsity football a senior year. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Okay, just want to make sure everybody understands that how um, impressive uh, Mikey is with regard oh, to football. Okay, so 
he was handing out money. What? Yeah, and and we because we talked basically we we talked to your younger brother about this too before we did this podcast because uh, we wanted additional backstory. Correct. Yeah. So he said that you know he would see him give around give out one dollars to people like it was nothing, um, and uh, you know, I guess uh, I never saw that. In fact, like there was a McDonald's, I know that there was a McDonald's next to our high school and that's where like a lot of people would go once school got out. Right. So and somebody showed up and needed a double cheeseburger or something oh like that. Oh my God. Like, yeah. yeah, there was, I just remember that so well, like so many people wandering around sort of panhandling for, to the fe- fellow students. So he would have been a smash hit if he showed up at the McDonald's handing out $1 bills. Yeah. Making McChickens rain. <laughs> yes. I love it, McChicken. Okay. Uh, and then uh, wore expensive clothing outside of school. Did he have a style that he was like – I mean, did you, did you remember him being particularly posh or stylistic in his Yes, it, but like he was posh almost like kind of in the limits of our uniform. So our uniform didn't apply to him, but he would he could, kind of okay. wear it, and he would wear more expensive – like, you know, you could tell that a he wasn't wearing that. more expensive version of it. Yeah, but – he, you know, basically our uniform was, you know, like a white polo shirt with khaki pants, let's say for guys. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and a sweater, optional sweater. So he would be rocking, you know, the sweater school sweater or school you sweater, wear any sweater. Okay. No school sweater. And, but he, so he would have, you know, I guess I, I know nothing about, uh, clothing, especially when I was in high school. Okay. And 90% of my wardrobe was the school uniform. Uh, so he had like, but he, I just noticed it was like out of this part was out of Hollywood, right? Like he would wear the school sweater wrapped around his shoulders, you know, like, oh, like so cool. Yeah. Like, you know, rich people in TV shows would do. Right. And, like the bully in, in, uh, in an eighties movie. Kind of yeah. Thing. And he would have, he would like kind of rock, you know, his pants would be almost like Capri pants a little bit, you know, like some sort of style that it seemed completely foreign to the rest of everybody else. So no spoilers, but completely foreign. Okay. <laughs> As the you're ruining of- my foreshadowing. <laughs> I'm trying uh, to drop. He had a show here. business. Yeah, this this thing described it. He has a show business error. Classmates say. Now, classmates say. Let's zero in on this because one thing that we especially got from talking to your brother, uh, Mikey, about this was. After uh, later on, when people were like looking back at the story, one of the fun things for the students w- to do would be to make up outlandish story to the media. So, like, the, all of this is tainted by you know, the basically, uh, Mikey and the rest of the varsity football team making up lies about this, uh, this whole like this whole event. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so it's, it's like hard to, you know, like anytime like you hear or if you if you look up the story, anytime you look, you hear about like references from individual students or particular students, you got to take it with a grain of salt because who knows what happened. Absolutely. Yes. I think that there was a lot of local news reporters showing up to the school that, uh, you know, wanted to believe crazy also, stuff. I think that this is interesting. The Fairfax County has like a its own dark web forum that talks about a bunch of this stuff. What is the deal with that? Like why does the place that you grew up have its own underground Reddit, not even on Reddit, but like underground Reddit equivalent where they shit talk a lot about this the school and everything going on. Like what uh, is that? Dude, I don't know. I in fact actually when I went many years later, like was such, like Re- trying to recall details about this event and Googled it. That's where I 
discovered that Fairfax right. Underground. So I had never heard of it. It was never when, anything I contributed to or even saw growing up. Like so. when you went when you went to college and were making friends in college, did you often ask for their links to like where they're from dash underground so you could read about their hometown underground? Like, was it assumed to you that that was a normal thing? Dude, <laughs> or, I don't think I don't that I even discovered Fairfax Underground until I was like in my 30s. Okay. Yeah. As... <laughs> As the truth about Jonathan Spielberg, but he was using the middle name Jonathan Taylor Spielberg, Mm -hmm. uh, slowly unspools that he was born. How they really uh, maybe maybe it wasn't so good to do this because they really drop it on. But he was born Anushravan Difakran and changed his name two and a half years ago and that he's likely in his late 20s. And that he intended two Northern Virginia colleges before going to Paul Six. So basically, we're we're hearing that this guy is uh, named Fakron, last name Fakron, changed his name, and he's probably twenty eight years old. <laughs> like, yeah. So that didn't come out until so he got there in like nineteen ninety seven or eight. Uh, 98 98 and was there as a freshman until his junior year or two years oh sophomore okay everything unraveled his second year sophomore okay second year and very early more impressive because mikey was on varsity football uh as a as a sophomore maybe (laughs) <laughs> no, he was not. Okay, okay, but uh, so the the your brother's gonna hate me. Um, yeah, you are gonna get a very angry person showing up at your door. Oh, well, that's why it's good you didn't give me your address. So it, he's claiming to be at this point seventeen max. Like he shows up as fifteen, and now he's seventeen, and it comes out two years later that he's twenty eight or twenty nine, and he's got a different, a whole different identity, and he probably went to some bit of college before he came to do this thing like so he's an imposter living as a student yeah but i would say that he lasted no longer than uh it was definitely under 16 months right because he gets busted like let's say school started august 20 or excuse me august 1998 Mm -hmm. like the story publicly comes out but he, he at the very beginning of um 2000 or, or no, no, no. Yeah, this he article is February. He, yeah, he gets caught very early on in the first like semester of his sophomore year. So he does not last very long once sophomore year starts. Okay, so fall, winter, 99. Yeah, that's because so, I also remember being okay. home from college when I saw the story break. Okay, I think we – maybe we just like tell a little bit about – so he, he basically gets through an entire year of hanging around. And mm-hmm. he's not there every day, but he's off and on coming in and socializing. And I, I guess he's he's not really doing any school work or anything like that, that right. his first year. Yeah, I mean I think that he – you know, if he's in class and there's a test, the expectation is for him to take the test. But he's not putting right. any effort into doing anything. In fact, I think Mikey said that he would just – scribble something on there and walk out of class like five minutes right so and he all the time he's like making friends he's he's like very um uh integrated with like the arts group like maybe theater i guess theater primarily like a group Mm -hmm. of theater kids and that become because he's claiming to be an actor studying for a role 
maybe they're immediately like, oh, let's talk to him about acting, professional acting or whatever the, the, the deal is there. But he has that in and other groups of kids kind of see him as like, even if they don't understand that he's an imposter, they see him as a weird art kid or something like that. Like he, he's an outsider to a good chunk of the school, no matter what. Yeah. And I, I definitely think, you know, the Washington Post kind of makes it seem like everyone was in awe of him. And I just, you know, I never got that impression, uh, except for people that were in his immediate circle. And Mikey definitely dispelled that when we talked to him, right? People yeah, just he was immediately being bullied. dismissed him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was being bullied at some level. I mean, this it's a, it's yeah. amazing when you think about it, that this 28-year-old guy is pretending to be 15 and getting bullied by other 15-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, but he was that's... very slight of frame. So, like, you know, it wasn't sure. like, <laughs> you sure. know, so he like shows the up. Physical... And, and obviously, yeah. So, so, but he's, he's got a, a community. Um, he even has, um, at some level, he's, he's at least a part of the student body at that and has some very, probably some very close connections and, and, but nobody is necessarily in on the scheme because immediately then, like, I can imagine like, oh, we think he's this, are we sure that the guy's not 40? That would be investigated right away, but he makes it pretty, cl- pretty clean through the first year of doing this as, as a freshman, like it, it doesn't seem like that first year he really had any major roadblocks to doing what he wanted to do or being a part of this, this thing. No. And in fact, I like, <laughs> I, I only ever encountered one person who firmly believed that he was an imposter and I immediately dismissed it. And I just thought it was so funny that like, again, looking back on that, just thinking like, holy shit, that guy was right. Like, and he, yeah, knew have it. he you spotted reached it right away. To- have you reached out to him and said, I have to apologize for dismissing you in German class when you said that this guy was a fraud? Oh, no, I have <laughs> I think you should, should write a note. I, I Find, think, yeah, yes. maybe a Facebook note and just be like, Oh my hey. gosh, yeah. 18 years later, reaching out to him uh, for you no were right. reason. <laughs> you were right. He probably won't even remember. Yeah, yeah more than 18 yeah. years. Okay. Yeah, I know. You're trying yeah. to make yourself sound young. Um, <laughs> Edit this so I say fifteen years later. <laughs> fifteen years. I'll, yes, I'll take the ADR of you saying fifteen years. What? Um. So first year swimmingly, he he's pulling this off. Like he's driving to school underage. He's he's talking to girls. He's uh, hanging out with them socially at football games. I think was one thing we heard. The McDonald's after school. He's maybe trying to to get ingratiated with enough of the people around that he has maybe a little bit of a buffer from, from people scrutinizing it from the outside or something like that. But through, through buying people, uh, McDoubles and stuff or not the McDouble McDouble hadn't been invented yet. I guess we should be very clear. Double cheeseburgers for a dollar the way Ronald McDonald intended. <laughs> and I mean, he's doing it. Like, I mean, it's like, you know, I think it was equated in, in some other new stuff as like the never been kissed story. Um, I, and I don't remember watching that movie ever, but, he, you know, or just one of the guys or, you know, one of those 80s, which probably he's, he's inspired by like or something like, let me go and try to do this thing. But pulls it off, gets greedy over the summer. And what's the story the next fall when school's about to start? Yeah, my understanding for what happened his sophomore year is that he says he's no longer auditing classes and that he wants to actually enroll and attend. Okay. So now he is Uh subjecting himself to being at school every day, which he was not the previous year. Uh, You know, he's got to take the class, you know, the tests and everything. Um, But he doesn't, right. He says that he'll do that stuff. And then he just keeps acting like he did the previous year. Now, 
uh, part of the story in order to enroll, he also needs to produce a previous high school transcript from which he was claiming that his previous high school was like a being tutored on set type of thing. It wasn't like a named institution, but he has to produce a high school transcript. So that is, that is an important, I guess, fact of the story. It's a, it's a, it's a known component here that he did submit. Yeah, it was something like it was a you know a made up school like the Beverly yeah, Hills Hollywood school, of school acting for the acting yeah and and that document that he sent was actually um, one of the pivotal pieces in the the kind of the investigation of this mm-hmm. afterwards. So now he's in quote unquote in school and quote unquote now as a student is subjected to a little bit more scrutiny, particularly around attendance. Yes, and so when he's not showing up, um, the front desk, uh, you know, receptionist. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I mean, the law, right? Is yeah, special, they got to find guess. out where he's at. Yeah, he's he's true. I mean, well, I don't it's know the, the law if, if he's over sixteen or claiming to be over, but the, but as a you know, he's he's truant. So the front desk, who by is like the hero, like I, I know, I, the, whoever the front desk worker. Um, and is it, a, do you know if it was a, a man or a woman that like I, a woman, Oh, this like, um, lovely lady, like really cracks the case on this. Like she's, she, yeah. she basically starts the process of trying to get in touch with the guardianship, you know, like, which I guess was supp- supposed to be his mother. I'm not sure exactly, but she can't get a hold of, of who he is listed as his guardian or, or who's, you know, whoever's on the paperwork for his application to the school or whatever that is. Yeah. Do you think he's paying tuition? Do you think the tuition was waived? I, I don't know because I, and actually I'm, was it, is it his truancy that sets off the red flag or is it a failure Uh to pay tuition? And I have a feeling that there's no way that father Lyle would have, you know, tuition. No, I think he totally would have waived tuition. You oh, know, okay, <laughs> you know, to in, in saying like, okay, wave tuition I'm for not, this guy because he's gonna his rich rich uncle will donate so much money to this school. I, yeah, hard. I mean, hard to know, but at some point, the front desk worker, for one of those two reasons or some other reason, feels obligated to find a guardian to mm-hmm. discuss either missing tuition or or the truancy situation um, with the student. And she cannot get a hold of the listed person, but she has the backstory that says, okay, well, if I can't get a hold of this guy's mom, I'm going to call his uncle, <laughs> who is Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. and who works at, obviously, DreamWorks Studios. <laughs> so yes. she calls DreamWorks and the response at DreamWorks, I'm going to paraphrase this, is first of all, uh, uh, you know, okay. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm Cindy from uh, the front desk at Fairfax County uh, Paul Six Catholic School. And we're trying to find uh, Stephen's nephew. Um, he hasn't shown up to class for a few minutes. You like how I'm going in this role playing? You're gonna. Be, <laughs> you're doing uh, great. I'm not gonna say. The, no, you're the DreamWorks person. Um, oh, okay. Do, is there a way that we could um, talk to Stephen regarding the uh, attendance and, and status of his, his nephew? Oh, I'm sorry, Stephen doesn't have a nephew in Virginia. 
Um, no, Jonathan. Yeah, Young Jonathan? No, no Jonathan nephews of Steven Spielberg. Oh, um, well, maybe Jonathan is the nickname. He's five foot six, um, has a five o'clock shadow at 10 a.m., uh, long hair, drives a BMW, even though he's 15. So he's, he's, a, he's kind of a young genius. Um, no, him. And, and then, so this, this triggers this. And in fact, DreamWorks security, like, I, I don't know, these people that work to protect Jonathan Spielberg, both, I guess, physically or whatever, but the, they get involved. So there's like a former police officer who works for DreamWorks studio who starts, he actually comes to fair. I mean, this is all in the backstory, but he comes to Fairfax County and helps the police investigate this story. Cause he sees it as some kind of threat to, you know, Spielberg or something like that. Um, but he gets involved. So that's, that's a, another element of this. So, so DreamWorks is now actually helping, dispel the notion that this person has anything to do with Steven Spielberg mm. I, in a very I active way. did not know that. Uh-huh. I mean, from outside um, of the, the Washington Post article. Yeah. Um, so they start to pull the threads, unravel things a little bit. Um, his name is legally Jonathan Taylor Spielberg, but I, I think as the investigation goes, they find out, okay, two years ago, this person who lived in California at the time, Los Angeles. So he did actually, you know, come from Los Angeles area to Virginia, but they can see the paper trail that says, okay, well here he submitted his age as, and there's like actually even variance with that, like as he applies for driver's license and something like that. But I think on his driver's license that he had in his physical possession and, and this, this is all from somewhat of, of memory version in this anyway, or articles. So it's all secondhand information a little bit, but his driver's license might've said like he was 19 at the time. Um, so even that was kind of like a middle ground of like, well, I mean, 19 is still like it's high school age. If you like are old for your grade or, or, you know, get held back a year, but it's not normal. You know, it's, it's, it's just all a little fuzzy, but yeah, the, and I the think next that his step age is kind of fluctuated through a lot yeah, of those different documents. Yeah, and maybe isn't even still still totally clear to people. Um, but you know, in in this article, it says he's likely in his late ten, uh, late twenties. So from there, you know, this like full on investigation, and the investigation from a police perspective is twofold i would imagine one this guy is pretending to be a kid in a high school so they're doing they're talking to a lot of students to see if there was some statutory type of crime which i i must say i i never once heard any any evidence that that there was necessarily any like i who knows what that is and they have some hard evidence at least that he's lied and committed some crimes of like obtaining government documents that you know, with forged documents, like he like applying for a driver's license or something like that. Or, and in fact, the transcript in the application, they, they, um, I think include in this initial indictment and investigation and, and kind of, um, assessment of it, they ultimately have that hard evidence, which it seems like he, you know, kind of negotiates his way out of the criminal complexity, um, you know, with some kind of, plea deal where i think he was yeah some type of 
you know, misdemeanor charge or something like that around document forgery. So that's ultimately all that, you know, seems to have resulted from, from the police side of things. But I imagine like this starts, I mean, I can't imagine this happening at my high school of like the aftermath, which started even before this February 7th. Cause it, you know, he, he, this, I think some of this stuff started to become public within the circle and, um, in like late, you know, December of, of, of the, the prior year, December of 99 or something like that. But what, what, what was your, your memory of the aftermath of like finding all this out? Uh, I remember <clears throat> being at a high school friend's house in their basement and like, there was a bunch of us were home from different colleges and we're talking and someone says, Hey, remember that Spielberg kid? He, he was a fake. Like that wasn't real. And I was just remember being like, nah, you're, you're crazy, man. And the TV was on in the background and the local news, you know, they do like those little, Hey, coming up at 11 spots. They were like, you know, an imposter and there's his face on the TV and I couldn't believe it. Um, so that was pretty much it. Like, I just remember, um, thinking, like I can't. That's that's insane, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then much later on, right? Like that was pretty much it. After that one evening, didn't really investigate it to like hear too much about it, except for that some seniors were like rallying around him as a joke at high school and like creating like they printed up these T-shirts that said "Rock on, Fakron. Mm-hmm. Um and. Other than that, like looking back on it much later when I recalled the story, I remember being surprised at those two things, like reading that Washington Post article. Number one, um, he actually was younger than I, th- I think like our, you know, than we thought he was. Like, I, I mean, not by much, right? But I thought like this, the kind of elevator pitch of this story was this 30-year-old guy, right? Not that a big difference yeah. between 29, but I just remember being being like, oh, he was younger than I thought. Oh, like – Well, it's it, like it, being – you know the difference between twenty nine and thirty is huge when you're uh, when you're twenty nine, <laughs> but when you're eighteen, it's also huge. And then you know, like yeah, it, and it's, then it's the second thing was just that he only got nabbed for document forgery, right? And I, I know yeah, that not, like because he definitely well we alluded to this right, so it was never confirmed girlfriend or not but there was definitely a girl that he spent a lot of time with uh, I, I who think, was a fervent no, uh, defender of him yes i i mean she was at, i and i think that that she even talked to the to the news i mean it's very hard to go back and actually find because it wasn't the same internet age where everything is you know carbon uh carbonite frozen mm-hmm. for us to, to review but I, I think her contention is that like this is a good I know this person, regardless of some of these uh complexity, it seems like I know this person and they're a good person. Like I didn't and in fact she's like if you're gonna find a victim in this whole story, it's her, right? Like or oh, oh you know totally. or, or the other relationship people that felt like they had a, a authentic relationship with this person who violated um ostensibly violated their their I mean, it's a huge violation of, I don't know what, uh, yeah, the honesty part of this. But I definitely thought like, you know, when bringing myself back up to speed on the story, would definitely, you know, just with the setup of, of the story, you would definitely think that like, it's going to conclude with him going to jail for some sort of statutory thing. Right. Like, sure. And, and I was and that just is shocked amp- that that is, it was, it just felt like such a slap on the wrist that he ended up with. 
figure I out. I think the most illuminating that. thing was, uh, I think it was Spin Magazine or Rolling Stone. Um, but uh, they did a follow-up article on this guy. To like try to use mm-hmm. getting caught as a promotion vehicle. He was on Howard Stern. He tried to he tried to write a book about this, or he did write a book about it, and I'm not sure. I tr- I was like, I want to buy the rights to the book and publish it 20 years later. <laughs> but you know, the, he he definitely I, I guess is in the like, and I can he's an attention seeker by by the very actions. But he just pivots this on, and like nothing criminally like really hurts him too much. I mean, he it wasn't like he had some career or something that that was impact. If anything, this put him into that he was now had his 15 minutes of fame. And it seems like a lot of this stuff is he wanted to be famous, right. Or he wanted people to treat him like he was famous or whatever those. Oh, totally. Those, you just nailed it. Right. He are, was yeah. not doing this for any surreptitious. Um, uh, well, it's Sarah. Serip- like I mean, attention yeah. seeking. So that, that was, you hit, you, you said it perfectly. It, it does. It does seem like you could, you could make a version of this movie where this guy is the protagonist and, you know, and, and doesn't come off too bad in the fictional version. The real world, any type of 28-year-old pretending to be 16 and hanging out with 16-year-olds is going to be treated like a predator. I mean, mm-hmm. like, it, it's hard to to come up with any situation in which, in, in, you know, unless, and it, who knows. But the um, the other thing, the person that you don't feel sorry for, that, and maybe this is like uh, a compounded you know, persona, you don't feel sorry for father Lyle at all in this story. Like I don't like as a complete outsider, never having met, I mean, you knew him. Um, you, uh, you, were you, an, you were an altar boy. Is that true? I was an altar boy, but not in high school. I was only an altar boy for like maybe a year or two in was, elementary school. But in father, what was your relationship with father Lyle? I had a few classes with father Lyle. Um, oh, he taught as well. He was also a teacher. Yeah. So uh, what do you, okay. So in, in what, I mean, so he knew your name, like he would, Oh, Hey Dennis. Yeah. He knew my he's, name. He was big. He was a big Hey Dennis guy, right? <laughs> no, I would uh, not say that he was a big <laughs> Hey Dennis guy, but I, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you were probably the best Nintendo player in Fairfax County. You didn't get any special attention for that. <laughs> no, the, in fact, the only conversation I remember with Father Lyle was like, you know, maybe, it was like my senior or no, like maybe uh sophomore, junior. I don't remember. But anyway, like I had gone through my growth spurt. So, uh, which happened between like the summer after freshman year. And so I just oh, remember being so in his class which, and he's like, why are you like, on the basketball hey, team? Yeah. Have you been working on your ball handling? Like, you know, I mean, I imagine as a, as a lanky, uh, six foot three, 13 year old the primary thing that you got to really rebuild your skills on is your your dexterity with your crossovers and stuff like that (laughs) yeah so uh anyway that's the only i remember that conversation in his class he wanted you to play basketball because you were tall so you got attention as soon as you were tall you're a brilliant student as soon as there was a glimmer of sports potential he would talk to me you probably graduated what top top 10 if not higher in your class what do you know what your class rank was as your senior year I don't, I was, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely had to be in the top 10%. I don't know if I was top 10. I mean, you but, went to a great, con- I mean, okay. 
Well, yeah. I'm, anyway. I'm putting my, uh, my own thoughts into this, but I wanted you to be recognized for your brilliance mm-hmm. and what makes you a great person. And Father Lyle didn't care about that. He cared about how tall you were. So you don't feel <laughs> bad for Father Lyle in the story. And in fact, this is only one of the things that um, cancel cultured, early cancel cultured Father Lyle, right? Like he... He had some other. Yeah, he went into hiding rushes. basically after this. Well, but this is not the sole uh, dart on the board because he won. There was some because of this sports pressure or whatever, which maybe that's tied towards trying to raise money for the school, or maybe there's even you know, but. He he's not only doing some of these uh, maybe recruiting types of things, which. My my high school basketball coach actually got in trouble for this as well, like recruiting like foreign exchange students. But where was he was recruiting people from local public schools or something like that and giving them free tuition to come and be rock stars for the football and basketball team? Yeah, and I feel like the I am not sure where the folks were coming from that were getting recruited. But okay. as soon as he got in charge, there was definitely a lot of people that were showing up to be stars on the football team and the basketball team. Right. So there's there's some um uh, improvider there and then also some stuff he was also some type of chaplain in the military and there's some um it might have been claiming some some false uh credentials in that to get a higher military pay or something like so there was like this guy has a a, a couple of of things that ultimately drove him as a he was a became kind of a he got canceled Yes, but that that uh, the military thing I think came later. Much later. after, yeah. After, oh, okay, that was his. That was like his. So he didn't learn his lesson after being a principal. He didn't learn his lesson. Huh? Didn't learn. So you, how do you feel about? I mean, this guy. Yeah. No, I, I think in general, you know, people preserved him as a jerk because he he purposely put off this personality um, of being a jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think it so just weird. felt like just desserts, right? Oh, that sounds good. Hmm. Like so, yeah, no one's feeling bad for Father Lyle because it wasn't like, you know, like, oh, you know, he was trying to use this kid for his game um, and being just like obsequious. Status. He, he's kind of status obsessed too. Yeah. 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 Okay. Gotcha. Um, so there's not really a clear thing. I mean, there was some question of this guy's immigration status. Now I'll say my personal connection to this is this guy is Persian and I am half Persian. And in fact, when we were investigating some of this, we called my dad. I think I'll, I'll try to find audio of that phone call with my dad, um, where, where my dad explains to me in classic dad style, uh, how to pronounce this guy's name. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he's Persian and I'm half Persian. So it's like, not only is this guy 28, but he's, you know, this, I think it's an easy story of like, man, I went to high school with this 28 year old Persian dude that everybody thought was 15. Like, that's a better story. Um, and also complicates things of like, um, why wasn't anybody asking why Steven Spielberg had a Persian nephew? <laughs> and he was born in Iran. So he has that like Persian accent too. I'm sure. <laughs> Wait, yeah, have you heard well. audio of his accent? No, I, well, I I wish we we hopefully we can get the Howard Stern interview at some point, but I forgot about um, that. Yeah, 
Okay, Dennis. Well, thanks for for taking us uh, down this this memory lane. A little bit of departure from the retro hacking stuff, but yeah, this is catch me if you can, and you know, style. Uh, and I, and I do think that those types of identity impersonation and and the, the like the stuff that it's like, especially at the time, you couldn't repudiate or validate and authenticate who people were nearly as you don't have nearly as many resources as you do today. Um, and even the accuracy of the story, I, I think it, I think it does connect to the theme of, of, of the, the podcast to say what, you know, how are we managing our trust of different situations and our, our and what is the incentive models, you know, out there in, in play at the school for people to behave the way they're behaving and, and, and what are the advantages and, and disadvantages. So I, I don't know. I, I do think that it's, it's relevant and it's certainly a fun story. I think it's your best story. Oh, uh, having, by far. having heard all of them. Um, and it's definitely, <laughs> and it's the uh, one that involves me the least. So that might yes, be, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're just, a, a, <laughs> that might be the takeaway here from my stories too. Yes. And Okay. Well, uh, Dennis, thanks so much for your time and for your initial participation in your own podcast and uh, had a great time. So thanks, man. Okay, thanks.